Thanks, guys. You have a seat. Um, I was driving around today, and I was actually listening to that song. Um, I'm not a big uh, teary kind of guy, or even a little t- teary kind of guy. Um, that song will get me sometimes. Uh, I, I appreciate our band so much. Man, can you all just tell, tell, tell your band how much you appreciate them? Uh, those, those folks, they had the same week you did. They just bought school supplies. They just started new classes. They just did everything you did. Plus, they've been up here for hours and hours this week, getting ready to pour out of themselves for you. Um, and, and that can be a little bit of a thankless job. So, I mean, if you get a chance, tell them how much you appreciate them. Like, go give them a hug or, like, I don't know, tickle them or something. It'll be weird. But um, do something and let them know how much, it, how much it speaks to your heart, how much the, the, the time that they lead us through changes you. Um, it's, it's easy to forget that, man, they're pouring hours of, of their time into your life every week. So tell them how much you appreciate that. So speaking of, uh, so speaking of new school, right, and new school stress, everybody surviving so far? One of the juniors told me they already had senioritis and was like, dude, you're going to die. You're not going to survive. You're not going to make it. You should just quit now. You're not going to make it through. It was him. Anyway, um, so er, nobody's got like permanent ISS or anything. Nobody has a teacher that hates them already, do you? Please don't raise your hand. Good. Okay. Just like one of you then. Um, new, school, new school years, man. I've gone through a lot of new school years. More than I can really do the math in my head right now. There's like the 12 for high school and there's four college and there's three seminary. And every one of those uh, new school year times was super frustrating for me. It was just, it's just hard. I mean, I remember going into classrooms, when I, not when I was a little kid. They don't give you syllabuses when you're little kids. When you get big enough, like all of you are, they start giving these things called syllabuses. And it's not, it's not, and they're not syllabuses, it's syllabi. Right, syllabi. That's so it's not a real word. It's not a real word. It's like how your teachers use appropriate constantly. No one says the word appropriate outside of a school building. So they give you a syllabi, and and in the syllabi, you've you've got all these things. And it's like it basically is a is a uh, list of. Uh, items which are going to tell you how bad your social life is going to be that year. It's essentially what that thing is, is for. And you read through it, man, and, and you start putting things in your super cool planner that your mom got you at uh, Staples, right? And you start loading in all the information because, because that syllab- syllabus, collectively syllabi, is there to, to help you understand what's going to happen across the course of that year. That first day, those first couple of days, you walk in, man, they're, they're trying to get you ready to, to know how this year is going to progress, you should walk away with a game plan, even if it's a game plan that makes you miserable and weep um, later that day. But, so the beginning of our school year, this is, this is our first greenhouse of the year. We're setting some, a whole bunch of new stuff in motion. I just wanted to make sure that, that all of us in the room tonight understand exactly why we are here and what we're supposed to be doing. So when we come to greenhouse week in, week out, why are we here and what are we supposed to be doing? Why do we come to this place? There's a lot of reasons people come to greenhouse. I want, you, I want to look into God's word and figure out, according to God's word, what it is that we're supposed to be doing here, who we are claiming to be, and what we're going to do. So we're in Matthew chapter 9 tonight. If you've got a Bible, I hope you do. If not, there's some on the windowsills. Usually those are in here. You can grab one of those. If you don't own a Bible, um, man, just grab one of those and take it with you. If you don't want to go grab one now, just later tonight, get a Bible, write your name in it. It's yours. That's, that's one of our gifts to you, okay? If you don't own a Bible, Steal one of ours. It's not stealing if I tell you to. Um, so Matthew chapter 9, that's where you at. It, it, we trust you guys, ninth graders, we trust you in here to use, if you need to use a phone as a, um, as a Bible or whatever. But uh, there's people in the balcony, if they see you like Instagramming, they're Instagram you Instagramming, and then I'm going to come own you, okay? So it's a little honor system. Just if you need to get a Bible out on your phone, do that. Just keep it on the Bible and not, you know, 
Snapchat or whatever. Sometime, one time I got a Snapchat of me preaching. It's like, what are you doing? Anyway, all right, Matthew chapter 9. We're going 9 through 13. It's a story of a guy who's very much like us. It's a story of a guy very much like us encountering Jesus. That's what we're going to see in these passages. So it begins in, in Matthew chapter 9, verse 9. It says that Jesus passed by and he saw a man called Matthew sitting at a tax booth. All right? So you got a guy named Matthew. How many of you all know a guy named Matthew? Everybody point at Matthew. There he's over there. there there's one. There's, a lot, there's Matthew. There's a, it's a common names, common guy. This is going to be Matthew that's going to end up being one of the disciples. All right, it's a very specific Matthew. Matthew's sitting there. He's at a tax booth, and Jesus walks up. And, um, and it, it's, it's very important to understand what him sitting at that tax booth means. That means he's a tax collector. That may not mean a lot to you. So here's the deal. Tax collectors were some of the uh, worst, most despised people in, in their day. Like in all the culture, like the person that, that everybody in your friend group just can't stand, this guy's worse, okay? So the people, they're Jewish people. And basically tax collectors are people who have decided to turn their back on all of their Jewish heritage, all, all their friends, their family, and they're going to become a tax collector for their own personal gain. They're traitors. They've, they've decided to join up with the Roman government. They're going to work for the Roman government against their own people, and, and they're going to collect taxes. And this isn't like when you go to the dollar movie, which isn't a dollar movie anymore. It's a $3 movie, which is a lie. Um, it's like the $3 movie. You go, you give the dude like three bucks and he asks you if you want to buy $3 of popcorn and you say, no, I don't because I brought this giant bucket and it's free. Um, and you give him your $3 and he gives you a ticket and you just move on. Like that's just the fee, right? He, he just collects money and he, he doesn't set the price of tickets. This guy this tax collector is the kind of guy who, he, he is supposed to collect a certain amount of tax. And it was a steep tax. Romans were, they were pretty rough. So it was a high tax. There's a lot of poverty. There's a lot of people that were hurting, not enough food, not enough stuff to survive. And so they had this huge tax on them. The tax collector gets to add whatever he wants on top of that and keep it. And they can't do anything about it. So this is his own people. This is his own, like, not friends because they can't stand him, but it's his people. And he's adding burden on top of burden for his own personal gain. He just gets to keep whatever he wants above what the Romans require. This dude's shameful. Like, there ain't no way around that. Like, to, to, to treat people like that, to extort people just for your own personal gain, that's terrible. We would all agree that's just kind of a terrible person, right? So Jesus is walking by this guy named Matthew who is a tax collector. He's sitting at his tax booth. It's like his table of shame set up there in front of everybody. And Jesus walks by, and it's, it's, it's very interesting what he, what he says. And in verse 9, he sees, Jesus just walks up, and he looks at him, looks him dead in the eye, looks Matthew at your table of shame, and he looks him in the face, and he says, follow me. That's it. There's two words. He looks him in the face, and he says, follow me. Think about all the other things Jesus could have said. Like, you're a huge jerk, <laughs> I mean, Jesus could have said any number of things. Think about the things that people probably muttered under their breath as they passed tax collectors like Matthew. The hurtful, angry things they would, they would mutter as they walked by those kind of people. And Jesus was walking by, and he's the king of kings and lord of lords. He, he can say, man, I'm so disappointed in you. Why would you treat your people like this? What is wrong with you? He could have, he could have come down on him because of his sin and his shame, and instead he just looks him in the face and says, follow me. That's all he said. Matthew's probably thinking in that moment, man, why, why would this guy want to have anything to do with me? That's what I would assume is going through Matthew's head. Matthew would have known who Jesus was. Jesus was a real prominent figure by this point. Man, everybody knew who Jesus was and that he was, if he wasn't the Messiah, then he was super close. All right, everybody's pretty much decided on that. 
And Matthew would have known that the kind of man Jesus was. And when Jesus walked up to him, his heart would probably have started to pound in his chest because, you know, when, when you, when you kind, of, kind of come into contact with, with God in light of your sin, man, you just kind of, it just, it just hurts inside. I can imagine Matthew sitting at his little table of shame and, and Jesus walking up and, and coming and approaching and standing in front of him and doing that just dramatic pause thing that I just imagine Jesus doing, right? Where he just stands at you and he's like, that's what I just call like the Jesus breath. It's just, you know, just let, feel the immensity of who I am. He just stands there. I can just feel, I can feel what Matthew would have felt in that moment. Just like the crushing presence of holiness in light of my sin. and Thinking, man, what does he want from me? Why would, and then, then when he says, follow me, man, why, would, why, would he, why does he want me to follow me? Are you going like, to go kill me behind a building or something? What is your deal? Like, why, why do you want to have anything to do with me? I'm, I'm pretty jacked up here. I mean, Matthew understood the choice that he'd made. He, he would have understood that, the, that there's a lot of sin in his life. He wouldn't have had any confusion about that. Why do you want to have anything to do with me, Jesus? I'm a mess. I'm not the kind of guy that you probably need to be hanging out with. He would have thought things very similar to things that you and I think about ourselves sometimes. That, that maybe we're people that are a little bit too messed up, a little bit too dirty, a little bit too sinful to, for, for God to really want anything to do with us. If God really knew who I was on the inside, if he really knew the depth of the mess inside of me, I really don't think he would have wanted to have anything to do with me. And sometimes when we find ourselves in the midst of a pit of sin, that, that's the thought that we have that God, God surely can't do anything about this. I'm, I've done too much. That's the phrase I always hear. Man, you, Britton, you don't know me. I, I've done too much. Matthew had done too much. And Jesus walks up and he says, follow. He's faced with a choice. He's faced with a choice in that second to either stay or go. He can stay at his little table of shame or he can stand up and he can literally turn his back on it and walk away. That's the same choice you and I are faced with when Jesus encounters, like when we encounter Jesus for the first time and, and he says, follow me. We have a choice in that instant whether we are going to stay in the midst of our mess that we've created for ourselves, in the midst of our sin, at our little sin table, or if we're going to stand up and turn our back on it and follow after him. You can't do both. You can't follow Jesus and stay where you are. It's just literally impossible. You can't stay in one place where you, that you've created for yourself, your pit of sin or whatever, whatever your junk is, whatever that mess is, whatever bad things are going on that you're a part of. You can't stay there and walk after Jesus. That's why so many of y'all have such a rough time in life when you, because you, you go through these seasons when you're trying to chase after Jesus and you're trying to follow, man, you're trying to do the thing, but you also want to maintain the life that you want to lead on your own. You go back and forth in this weird balance of, of you trying to lead and trying to follow Jesus at the same time. This doesn't work. It rips you apart, doesn't it? Matthew's sitting at that table, his little shame table. Jesus walks up, looks him in the eye and says, follow me. At the end of verse 9, it says that he rose, he got up, and he went. I think that's a beautiful moment. It's a beautiful moment in this passage where, where Matthew makes a decision that, that all of this, everything I've created for myself, that all of my junk is not worth it. And he stands up and he leaves the life that he's kind of, I mean, tangibly leaves it, like turns his back and walks away and follows after Jesus. That's a beautiful thing. Because in that moment, he's decided that, that following after Christ and whatever that may mean is worth more than whatever personal gain he's going to get from staying where he was. 
He decided that Jesus was better. Students, I'm praying for you this year that you are people who come to a point where you have a longing for something better than your sin. Where you have a deep, painful longing for something better than your sin. And that thing is Jesus Christ. I'm praying for you to long for him. I'm praying for you to thirst for him. For you to come to a point where you understand and believe and and trust that, that he is better than whatever other option there is for you. Because I know you've got a lot of options. I've been through school. <laughs> I've been your age, man. I've sat where you sit. I know what your options are. I'm praying for a longing for something better for you. So we have this scene with Jesus and Matthew at the shame table, right? And then we have a scene change. It all goes black. We get a new picture, right? It's like a commercial break. You go to verse 10 and uh, we find ourselves in a party. It's always good to be in a party. Verse 10, it says, as, as Jesus reclined at the table in the house, behold, many tax collectors and sinners came and were reclining with Jesus and his disciples. It's a, it's a party with all the jacked up, unclean people. That's my kind of party. There's two kind of parties in the world, right? There's parties where um, uh, it's kind of like those random hangouts that kind of like word of mouth spreads and a whole bunch of people just kind of show up somewhere and not really sure why. You know what I'm talking about? There's those kind of parties. Those are weird. I think the goal of those parties is to look cool. I'm never really, I never, I mean, I never quite figured out what the, what the goal was, but I'm pretty sure the goal is just to look cool, right? It's, when you go to these kind of parties and, and it's just a bunch of people hanging out, what you do is um, you just dress as cool as possible, right? And you got your like weird running shoes on like I have because I'm trying to look cool. I don't know. And then you got to get the, the pants that fit just right and you like cuff them or something if you're a super hipster. And then you, you try on like four shirts because you only own four shirts. And you put, if you're a boy, if you're a girl, you're trying on like 400 shirts because you own 400 shirts. And you put on all these shirts and whatever and you're trying to look, you know, the dresses and whatever. You, you, you do your stuff and you get your hair did, right? And you got to use some kind of weird product stuff that's like creamy and white and you like, smear it in your head because it's, it's got your hairs have to stay in a direction, right? And, uh, and so you get this, the swoosh. When I was in high school, I had this epic haircut. Have any of y'all ever seen my hair from high school? Have you ever, like, Facebook stalked me that deep? Good. One. Rachel Bilskersky. All right. So all of you are going to go to Facebook stalk me. You're going to have to figure out your Facebook password. Log back into Facebook and go to the very beginning of my Facebook profile. There is a swoosh, and it is beautiful. <laughs> like, ain't none of y'all got nothing on my hair from high school and college. Like, you, you don't. I'm winning. I'm just winning. I, I perfected it. I, perf- I perfected the southern swoosh. Looks like you got a swirly and it dried uh, perspective. I had a hat. I had a hat. One hat I had to have on. So when I'm, you know, I'm going to go look cool, I put on my hat. The hat is backwards. And I would let my hair dry in this, like, thing where it would, like, curl up in front of the hat, you know? It was, and you take the hat off. And it was this perfect, like, continuous, mesmerizing, upside-down bowl of glory. It was incredible. It was incredible. And I would go and I'd, I'd be like, what up, I'm, I'm here. And then once you get there, you gotta, like, you, gotta, you gotta play the part. So whatever the part is that you're trying to play in life, you gotta play that part. So if you're like the super happy outgoing chick, then you've gotta drink like 14 Red Bulls because you've gotta go hug literally every person that breathes in the room. Be like, oh my God, I love you. And that's what you gotta do, right? Because you're oh gosh, I gotta tell this guy I love you. Oh my God, I love you. And you're like hugging people, right? Because that's the, that's the part you play in life now. So you're the, oh my God, I love you, girl. And then, and then there's, then there's the, the strong, silent type. This was my MO because I'm lazy, right? So strong, silent type is, is, is awesome because you just have to like sit still and look cool, right? So I would go find a couch and I'd sit on it. You tilt your head back a little bit and look mad. What up, girl? 
I won't talk to you, but I'm over here. I don't need you or anything. I'm not like literally posing right now, but it's whatever. It's cool. That's what you do. Goal made. You achieved it. Then you go to other parties that are celebrations. And there's a point. You got like a birthday party or celebration of somebody's graduation, man. And there's a, there's a point and everybody's happy. And there's a reason that you're there. You still have to look cool, but it's whatever because that's just life. But there's a reason you're there. And people are joyful and excited and there's, they're celebrating. The goal of a celebration is to celebrate, right? In Matthew chapter 9, verse 10, we end up in a party with a bunch of jacked up people. And it basically says this. That Jesus had chosen to go to Matthew's house and he had asked Matthew to bring as many of his messed up friends as possible. And they're all inside, they're hanging out with Jesus and they're enjoying the company of this person who spoke words of hope and peace, who wasn't condemning, who wasn't coming down on them, was just enjoying being with them. Greenhouse is our version of this party. This is our bunch of messed up people that we get together with once a week and celebrate. Celebrate the fact that we're not just the broken and the messed up and the shameful, we're the forgiven. We're the ones who have found restoration. We're the ones who have found hope where there was no hope. We're, we come here to have our own little jacked up people party to celebrate the fact that we have a savior who forgives, who wipes us clean. Celebrate the fact that we have found something better. That's what I see in verse 10. A party of people that are restored. That's what I want Greenhouse to be. I want us to be people who have chosen to get up and walk away from our old way of life and follow. And for us to have a moment every week where we get to come together and have this, this, this party where we get to celebrate the fact that we serve a risen Savior, one who died for us, who paid the price for all of my, all of my mistakes, who's literally made me new again. Not because I earned it or deserved it or anything, but just because he wanted to, because he loved me that much. I want to come, to, I want to come in here with you and celebrate that. I don't want to come in here with you and try to look hard. I don't want to come in here with you and just be impressed with how cool your clothes are. I don't want to come in here and you just have a good time and get to meet you and then like hug 14 people and just have a good time with my friends. That is not good enough for me. That's not sufficient. I can do that outside of here. I don't need to come here for that. That is not why we gather together. We gather together to celebrate. This is a party, but it's a party with a purpose. A purpose is to lift up the Savior that we all serve. And I understand that there's some of you in this place, man, that that's not, that's not your deal yet, that you haven't come to a place where you've decided to, to get up out of that table and follow after Jesus. I understand that. I'm so glad you're here. And, and I, I want you to hear that wherever you are in that journey, however close you are getting to a decision to follow Jesus, it, no matter how far away you are from that decision, and look, I was a long way away at one point. I'm glad you're here. This is a place for you. So for those of us who have chosen to follow, this is a place where we can come and be encouraged and built up. For those of us who aren't quite there yet, this is a place for you to come and be loved on and be encouraged. This is a place for your friends to come and feel welcome and accepted. And you're the ones that do the accepting. Because in verse 11, the passage goes on, not everybody's in the party. Not everybody's inside. In verse 11, it says that there's some Pharisees saw it and they said to his disciples, why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? There's Pharisees outside, they're looking in, they, they, they knock on the window and they ask the disciples, what's this guy doing? See, I know how terrible these people are. Why, why would Jesus be hanging out with jacked up, messed up people? He needs to be hanging out with people like us. The whole time they're outside the party. The Pharisees didn't get to come inside the party because they thought too much of themselves and too little of others. That is not who we are. Clear? 
We are not people who think too much of ourselves and too little of others. We are all messed up people who come from incredibly diverse versions of brokenness. I do not want us to be a group of people like the Pharisees who thought far too much of themselves and far too little of others. Don't let that be you. Listen to what Christ said in return in verse 12. He says, when he heard it, he said, those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. Go and learn what this means. I desire mercy, not sacrifice. For I came not to call the righteous, but to call sinners. Anybody in here hate going to the doctor? Show me a hand if you just do not like going to the doctor. All right, put your hands down. How many of you uh, particularly hate going to the doctor when there is absolutely nothing wrong with you? Because that's me. When you're, when you're like younger, they call it a checkup. When you get older, they call it a physical, and it gets physical. I do not like physicals. I do not go to physicals, if at all possible, right? I do not like that. I do not like going to the doctor if I'm perfectly fine. There's no point, right? But when I'm sick, like real sick, if I break something, that's the only place I want to go. I don't want to go to Chocolat and bounce on a trampoline. I want to go to the doctor. Shut up. Don't take me to Taco Bell. Doctor. Like, there's only one place I need to go when I'm sick, and it's to the doctor. But when I'm well, I'm not going there. Like, Jessica can tell me all the time, you, you can check. No, I'm not going. I'm not going. I'm man. You know, it's not doing it. But when I'm sick, I know I need that doctor, and that's the only place I want to go, and I get there. Like on Saturday, I'm like calling Jessica's, Jessica's dad's a doctor. I'm like calling him on Sunday afternoon. Bro, I need some medicine. I mean, that's, I make a beeline at a doctor when I know that I need him. And that's what Jesus is saying in verse 12. He's saying, I didn't come for the sick. I came for the ones who, that's the opposite of what he said. I didn't come for the ones who aren't sick. I came for the ones who are sick. I came for the ones who know that they need a savior. I didn't come for the ones who think they're perfect. I didn't come for the ones that think they've got life figured out without me. I came for the ones that, that know that they're in need of a Savior, that they need forgiveness. I know, students, I know that I needed a Savior. I know that without a Savior, I would be forever lost, without any. I don't know how I would make it through one day anymore without Jesus. I don't know how I'd find purpose enough in life to keep going apart from my relationship with Christ. Jesus came for those who know they're messed up. He isn't interested in chasing around those who think they've got it all figured out. Do you need a savior? Do you know that you need him? Man, if, you, if, if you're with me and you've made a decision to follow after Jesus with your life, do you, do you remember how much you need him? Because I do. And if that's not you yet, you haven't made that decision to stand up and follow, I would implore you to do that. There's no better decision I've ever made in my entire life. There never will be. So I give my life to Christ, to walk away from that table of shame and to chase after him with everything I've got. Do you know you need a savior? I want to read verse nine again uh, to you. And I, I just want you to close your eyes for me. That's not weird. Just weird. Nothing bad's going to happen to you. I'm not going to water balloon you or anything. Just, just close your eyes for me. I'm going to read verse nine and I'm going to put teenager um, in, in place of Matthew. And, and when I say teenager, that, I just want you to place your name in that verse because in a very real way, this is exactly the situation where you find yourself. So I'm just gonna read this verse and I just want you to place yourself in it. As Jesus passed by, he saw a teenager sitting at their table of shame. And he looked them in the eyes and he said, follow me. 
So they got up and they followed him. Students, with your eyes still closed, man. Do you need a savior? I know I did. And I know I still do. I urge you, students, to follow him, to follow hard, and to join the party.